listening to Redeemer Church of Denton's sermon audio. For more information about Redeemer Church, visit us online at RedeemerDenton.com. Well, it's good to be with you this morning. Uh, We are starting a new series today, uh, but before we get started, let me pray for us. Father, we love you. We're gathered here in this place, God, together because we want to worship you. We want to honor you with our singing, with our hearing of your word, but also our obeying of your word that we might live lives that honor you. And so, God, this morning, for these next 30 or so minutes, God, would you speak to us? We need the Holy Spirit to show up in a real way or we've got nothing. No words that I proclaim from here will change anything except your word and your spirit moving through it. And so we pray that you would do just that this morning. We love you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, how many of you guys have watched The Chosen? Any, anybody watching The Chosen out there, if you know what I'm talking about? Okay. Okay. Fans, good. All right. How many of you guys have heard about The Chosen, maybe? You've seen it on your Facebook feed, but you have not watched it yet. Raise your hand. Shame on you. No, I'm just kidding. Um, it, it's really good. It's really good. I, I cannot recommend it highly enough. It's It's a fantastic show. For those of you who don't know uh, about The Chosen, or maybe you haven't got to see it yet, um, let me just share with you a a bit. Um, Mallory and I, we love this show. We were a little late in the game. We didn't catch it the first bit, but once the whole season, the first season was out, we started watching it. It was just like, wow, this is incredible. Um, Some of us have been emotional in some parts of this show. Some of us may have even teared up and cried in some parts of this show. And cards on the table, it, it was me. It wasn't Mallory. It was, it was totally me. Um, it, it's, it's really good. If you haven't heard of it, here's, here's kind of the premise, okay? It, it's watching, uh, uh, it's a TV show, okay, that is about Jesus. But it's different from all other movies kind of you've seen about Jesus because it's not necessarily just starting from his birth and going all the way through. Um, the idea is, there, the, the director, he says this, he says, The greatest story of all time deserves a TV show that's binge-worthy. And that's what he set out to do, was to to look at the scriptures and to try to uh, tell the story of Jesus in a unique and creative way that is faithful to the scriptures. Um, And and the thing that I think is is unique about this series that's a little bit different from all the other movies I've ever seen, not that those were were not good, there's been some good ones as well, but this one is different in a few ways. And one specific way that I really enjoy is that you get to see the story of Jesus, but you see it through the eyes of, of those around him. And so you see it through the eyes of the chosen, the, the people he calls to himself. Um, and it highlights these different interactions with our Savior. And it invites you to feel what they must have been feeling as they came face to face with God in the flesh. And so we're beginning a new series today. And it's going to be looking at the interactions of Jesus with different groups of people. Now, this is going to be kind of broad strokes, okay? I don't want you to hear that, that Jesus only has certain ways to interact with people. And I think that's one of the things that the show uh, highlights is that in different ways, he's, he's interacting with different people differently. In the Gospels, if you look at the Gospels and read them, you see it. 
But, but for our purposes, we're going to go in kind of broad strokes and, and see different types of people and how Jesus generally interacts with them. And we're going to highlight some of those interactions in order to, to learn what it looks like for us then to interact with different kinds of people. Now, you might ask yourself, well, why even are we interested in Jesus' interactions with people? Well, I want to answer it from a verse, 1 John 2, 5 through 6. We won't be here long, but this, this kind of sets us in motion a bit. 1 John 2, verses 5 through 6. All right, it says this, by this we know that we are in him, in Jesus. Whoever says he abides in Jesus ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So if we as Christians want to abide in Jesus, if we want to remain in the way of Jesus, then, then we need to walk like Jesus. We need to pattern our lives like Jesus. Now this, this series is certainly not going to be comprehensive. And this is merely a glimpse into some of the interactions with Jesus. So if, if you are like the person who you're a bit of an overachiever and you always did extra credit like in college and in high school, then what you might set out to do is go through the Gospels and just look specifically at how Jesus interacts with different people. That's a great exercise. That's one of the things that I did even in just preparing for this series. It's phenomenal. So if, if you want a little extra credit, go home, do that. Uh, for the next month as we go through this series, that's your homework, okay? For the rest of you, I'm going to give you the broad strokes, okay? Um, so for our purposes, we're going to look at four different kinds of people that Jesus interacts with, okay? The first one we're going to look at today is Jesus' interactions with the lowly, okay? Then the next week, we'll do Jesus' interactions with the proud, the third week, we'll do Jesus' interactions with the disciples. There'll be a break there where someone will come and preach. And then the following week, we'll finish it out with Jesus' interactions with the state, okay? Let's not get ahead of ourselves. Today, we are going to be looking at Jesus' interactions with the lowly. So the first question that I want to answer is, who are the lowly? And, and how does Jesus interact with them? Now, I'm going to use this term lowly throughout this sermon um, to describe a wide range of people that have something in common, okay? So we're going to read through some passages together, um, and I'll make some comments along the way, and then we're going to take that common thread that kind of ties them all together and bring it together at the end, all right? So the first one we're going to do is Luke chapter 19, the first 10 verses. So if you want to flip over or scroll over to Luke chapter 19, we'll start there. All right, Luke 19, starting in verse 1. So Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. Okay, we've got to stop there for just a bit. What do we know about tax collectors? Are they popular people in Israel? No, right? <laughs> They're hated. They're despised. They're traitors to God's people. Now, they're working for the enemy. They're working for Rome. And, and so they're not only like taking what Rome 
wanted them to take, but they're also kind of padding their pockets, right? They're, they're taking that, what they wanted and then adding a little bit to it, and that's how they get rich. That's how our man Zacchaeus here is rich, is because he is giving, taking more than he is supposed to. So they're profiting from this horrible practice already, and they're cheating God's people. All right, let's keep going. Verse 3. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. So our man Zacchaeus here, he is a short guy, okay? <laughs> he, he can't see, and so he, but he's, he's not going to let that deter him, right? He is going to go, and this is not like, I mean... This is not a, a very dignified thing to do, right? To run is al- already not dignified, but he runs ahead and then he climbs up this tree so he can get a peek at Jesus. And so he's a determined guy. Verse five. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone in to be with the guest of us, who's a man who's a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And so we see Jesus' command here, hurry and come down. And Zacchaeus' response is he comes down, he hurries and comes down, and then he repents. Before Jesus says anything else, he repents. And Jesus responds to that, salvation has come to this house. So right from the get-go, Jesus is shifting expectations a bit. This is not how you would anticipate this to go. When the Savior of the world, the King of the Jews, comes and interacts with a traitor who's a tax collector. Jesus is interacting with the despised man. He's extending compassion to the crooked. And we also get a glimpse into Jesus' purpose there at the end. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Now we're in Luke here, and so if you've been reading in Luke and you come to this place, echoes immediately should be ringing in your mind of Luke 15, where Jesus has just been talking about the parables of the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost sons. And now here he is saving and seeking and saving the lost Zacchaeus. So how is Zacchaeus lowly? He's not lowly because he's poor, okay? He's not lowly because he can't take care of himself. He's not even lowly because he's been characterized by humility before all this. No, he is lowly because he is a social outcast. He's lowly because he's hated by his fellow Jews. And he is lowly because he is eager to come to Jesus for help and to obey All right, let's look at another of Jesus' interactions with the lowly. We're going to go to John chapter 8. Flip over to John chapter 8. John chapter 8, we're going to start in verse 1 there as well. It 
But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Okay, you see what they're, they're doing here, right? They're, they're trying to trap him. They, they do this throughout Jesus' ministry. And, and look at how Jesus responds. I love this. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. Jesus just doodling on the ground. Now, the big question that everybody wants to know, right? What was he writing? And, and I've heard some, some different speculation on this, and, and some of it seems you know, maybe convincing or plausible at least. I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us what that is, okay? But for our purposes, it doesn't actually really matter. What does matter is that Jesus isn't playing their game, right? He's not getting into an argument with fools. He's not falling for the bait. We could learn something from that. I know I can learn from something that in, in how we go about things. Verse 7, let's continue on. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Man, I just love it. I love it when Jesus confounds folks, especially the Pharisees, right? Um, he, he's just, they're bringing this, uh, this to him, and he's like, oh, okay, you know, yeah, sure, why, stoner, hey, but, but why doesn't the guy who's standing here who doesn't have any sin, why don't you start us off? Go ahead, right? Like, there's no answer to that. It's like, oh, right, oh, okay, and then creep, you know, slowly walking away, right? That's, that's what he just did. Um, verse 10, Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. This woman is guilty, right? There's no doubt about it. She was caught in the act. Side note here, there was also a guy that they didn't bring him in. Okay, he also was guilty. But this woman, no doubt, she's guilty, no question. Um, she had gone outside the boundaries that God had given her. She had not honored God. And what is Jesus' posture toward her? He's kind. He offers forgiveness. And he is unwilling that she continue this lifeless path that she's on. From now on, sin no more. So just like Zacchaeus, this woman is also lowly. She's lowly because she is, uh, she's not lowly because she's morally perfect. Okay, that's obvious, right? She's not lowly because she is better than others. She is lowly because she is broken. She is lowly because she is exposed. And she is lowly because she is a sinner in need of God's grace and willing to receive it. All right, let's look at, at one more in Luke chapter 7, verse 12. Got you flipping back to Luke. 
as you're flipping, this is an account from when Jesus is kind of, uh, he's gotten into his public ministry now. Uh, things are starting to roll. Um, the plan is in, in, in uh, full swing, and he's going, all right? And I love that because he's about to just push pause here for a minute. Verse 12 of Luke chapter 7. Now, as Jesus drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bier, and the bearer stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. Jesus doesn't have to stop and talk to this woman, right? He's going about his ministry. He has big, important things to do, an agenda to complete. And yet, he does stop, and he has compassion on her, and he raises up her son. And if you read the rest of this account, um, all around her, they fear and they glorify God. And so this woman as well joins the company of the lowly, which Jesus has compassion for. She is lowly because she's mourning. She's lowly because she's lost something dear to her, and she's lowly because she is in a posture to receive. Now, these are just a few of dozens that I could have picked, a small sample of Jesus' interactions with the lowly. But, but within Jesus' ministry, and again, if you read the Gospels, here's some of the other lowly that he is ministering to and extending compassion to. The sick, the demon-possessed, the poor, the hurting, the promiscuous, the outcasts, the sinners, the tax collectors, those who are hungry, those who are thirsty, the ordinary, the forgotten, the lowly, those nobody wanted, those of humble estate, those who were teachable. So now that we have a general idea of, of the lowly and who they are, the next question is, why does Jesus come to the lowly? Why is there something significant and special about the lowly? What is it that draws him to them? And I think Mark 9 gives us, uh, sorry, Matthew 9 gives us an insight into this. Matthew 9, chap, uh, verse 35. And I promise I'll let you rest a little bit after this. Matthew 9, verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest and send out, to send out laborers into his harvest. And so Jesus goes throughout these cities, and he honestly goes throughout all of his public ministry, really, and he teaches, he proclaims the gospel, and he heals. And he does this because he has compassion for the lowly. He sees that they are harassed, and helpless, that they're like sheep with no shepherd, and he has come to be their good shepherd. 
John 10, right? He knows his sheep, he cares for his sheep, and he lays down his life for his sheep. But notice what else he says in this passage at the end there, verse 37. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. He says that there is a harvest of these lowly people out there, that these harassed and helpless, that they're out there and that the harvest is plentiful. There are plenty of folks looking to be connected to this kind of shepherd. But the trouble is that the laborers are few. The workers to go in and bring in that harvest. And so this is where you and I come in, right? We started talking about those who wanted to abide in Jesus and what that looked like. We talked about how those people would have to walk as Jesus walked and those people would have to live as Jesus lived and those people would have to do what Jesus did. We are to be laborers bringing in the harvest of God's kingdom, a kingdom where Jesus is king, a kingdom where we are living our lives asking what would it be like if Jesus was running the show here? What would it be like if Jesus was working my job? What would it be like if Jesus was running my family? What would it be like if Jesus was living in my house, in my neighborhood? And then we go in the power of the Holy Spirit and do just that. Now that's highly idealistic, right? It's like how do you break that down into sizable chunks for today? Well, let's talk about that a bit. I want to ask you two questions to think about this week as you work to be a laborer bringing in God's harvest, His kingdom. The first one is, who are the lowly in your life? Like, who are the sick and the outcasts and the forgotten and that whole list that we just went through? Who are those people in your life? Are we around anyone like this? Now, this is a a bit of a tough question because as you wrestle with this, as I wrestled with this, we we live in middle-class suburbia, right? With just a whole lot of people that kind of look like us, like similar life stages, similar economic uh, levels and all that. Like we, we just, we live there, Okay. We go to school with the same people. We, we work with them. We go to church together. And hear me, don't hear me despising that. There's some really sweet and good things about that. But if we aren't with any other folks that could be considered in this category of lowly, then it's going to be really tough for us to walk like Jesus did. In order to live like Jesus, we're going to have to be around the lowly. Which leads to our next question. How are we extending compassion to the lowly? Because Jesus extended compassion to the lowly, we are called to do the same. Now, within our church, within Redeemer Church, there is some that would be considered in this, right? We have widows, 
We have single moms. We have those who are hurting emotionally, those who are hurting physically, those who have experienced great loss. We have the lowly within our walls, right? And so we need to be able to look around and know that there's even people within this room right now that fit there. Maybe that's just where they are, their state of life, or maybe seasonally, right now that's where they are. And so as a church, if, if we are actually going to be a church family, then we have to be a family that extends compassion to one another. We have to be a family who bears one another's burdens, a family who values others above themselves. That's the very nature of being a family. And there's so many stories of this, right, that I've, I've heard in my eight years here as a pastor of, of this happening. But there's always room for us to do better and to, to look around us, to get our eyes up and see the people around us. And so we have to be caring for the lowly within our walls. But we also have to look outside of our walls, right? This is more than just a social club here that we all gather together for, right? And it's more than just an enclosed thing where we only take care of each other. We do that, but we also take that light of Christ out from here, out from these walls. And so we look for ways to see the lowly and engage the lowly and love the lowly outside of our church as well. Now, we have some really easy ways set up for you to be able to, to do this in, in our Ford Den Outreach Ministry. So if you go to our website or if you email me, I can give you a list of all these different ways you can serve, ways that you can connect with these ministries. Um, each of our uh, ministries that we partner with in Fort Denton, we try to have an advocate um, for that ministry, a person who goes to this church, who will come up here, you'll see them coming and talking about this ministry. In, in all of these ministries, they all are engaged with the lowly in our city. So this is a really easy way that if you look at your life, and it's okay if you look at your life and you go, you know, there's not that many lowly in my life right now. This is an easy way to right off the bat be engaged with some folks. Okay, so let me, let me mention them real quick. We've got woman-to-woman pregnancy resource, um, which our advocates are David and Laura Dow for that ministry. Um, this is a, a pregnancy uh, center that they are, they're an incredible ministry. They do pregnancy verification. They do ultrasounds, nurse consultations, education uh, for, for women before they have a baby and then even after they have a baby. They want to care for the mamas, the whole spectrum there. It's a great ministry. And we have Refuge for Women, um, which is our advocates are Brian and Molly Taylor. Um, and it's, this is an incredible uh, ministry that actually deals with women that are coming out of the sex industry, okay? And, and it, there's some ministries that get, actually get them out of that. That's not what this is. This is once they're out and they're wanting to make changes so that they stay out, they walk with them for a year to a year and a half as they um, teach them and, and show them what it looks like to be back into uh, the normal rhythms. We've got Hearts for Homes, uh, which is a ministry that uh, Mark Gocher is an advocate for. Um, this is a ministry that uh, if there, there's some elderly folk in our community that aren't able to like take care of their home still, 
And so they work with Hearts for Homes to get projects lined up and everything, and then Hearts for Homes works with churches to get people to come in. Uh, we made an announcement last week about them doing some different projects um, for some flooring and stuff like that. And so this is what they do. They care for those who can't take care of their home anymore and, and, and work with them there. We've got First Refuge Ministries, uh, which we don't have an advocate for right now. If this is something that interests you, email me. We'd love for you to be our advocate for First Refuge Ministries. Um, this is a ministry that has a food pantry. They have medical, uh, medical help, dental help, counseling help um, that they do for those who aren't able to afford it. Um, and finally, we've got a, a ministry that's relatively new uh, to, to us, uh, Grace Like Rain, that L. Stone is our advocate for that ministry. I mean, it's a great ministry, again, working with um, those who are uh, families that are actively involved in homelessness or um, are at risk of homelessness. And so they walk with them in different ways. Uh, Elle is a coach for them as well, that she actually works with a particular family and just walks alongside that family. So we've got lots of different opportunities if you want to go this kind of formal route. It's incredible um, way to get involved in our city with the lowly. You can also do this in other ways, okay? Um, my, my family and I, we've been spending some time in Old Town Louisville at the Salvation Army there. Um, it, it, it's, we're just meeting some new folks that they don't have a home, and they, they're out a lot. They, get, they have uh, lunch provided for them every week, and so we've just kind of developed some relationships with some of those guys some of those ladies. So we know Johnny who likes to dance uh, and he likes Neapolitan ice cream and he loves all things Dallas Cowboys. And we don't have any grand plan for, for what it looks like to long-term uh, to serve and love him. We just know that we want to. And as we've been wrestling through this as a family and recognizing, hey, like we just don't have a lot of folks in our lives that are, that are fit into this category. So we want to be able to, uh, to, to come around and, and to love them with the love of Christ. And so there's, there's all kinds of ways you can do this. But the point is, taking small steps to be around the lowly. And if you're already around the lowly, to take small steps to be around even more. To show them the love of Jesus. So no matter what you do, my hope is that, that you, you do take some steps, some more steps to be around the lowly. If you look at the Gospels, like I, I was amazed as I was reading through the Gospels, how much Jesus is just around these types of people, right? He, he doesn't, he kind of baffles us a bit because he doesn't hang out with who you think a king would hang out with. He's hanging out with the poor. He's hanging out with the tax collector. He's hanging out with those who are coming out of questionable occupations. My hope is that we as a church will be characterized on the whole, but also as individuals, as those who love and serve the lowly within our church and those who love and serve the lowly within our community. And if we aren't actively doing that, then the reality is we cannot walk like Jesus did. And we cannot be a part of bringing in that harvest that he said was there. And so church, my question is, do you believe there's a harvest out there? I wrestle with this question a lot for myself because a lot of times it feels like it's the opposite, right? There's no harvest. There's plenty of workers. We just can't bring in the harvest because there's nothing out there. But Jesus says the opposite. He says, the harvest is there. It's there for the taking. 
The trouble is there's not enough workers to go out and grab it. I want to close today by thinking again about John 8 and that woman caught in adultery. I want you to imagine for a moment that you're in her place, that you're in her shoes. You're living your own way. You're doing your own thing. And in an instant, your brokenness is brought out into the open. Your sin is exposed publicly for all to see. Imagine the shame that you might feel, the humiliation, the despair. And you know you deserve it. Like there's no mistake. There's no misunderstanding. You are guilty. And you are brought before a man that you've never met before. And yet you can tell that he's a man of importance because these religious leaders have brought you here. And here's what they say. Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? You hold your breath, waiting for that pronounced judgment that you know you deserve. But then, nothing. You look over and you see him writing on the ground. These leaders are persistent though, so they keep questioning. What what do you say? What do you say we should do? And then these words come out of his mouth. Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And he goes right back to writing in the dirt. And you stand there as slowly all these guys start walking away. You're trying to figure out what exactly is happening, what just happened. And then he says to you, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? You hear yourself say, no one, Lord. And he responds, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Can you imagine Jesus' face as he looks at that woman? Like the tenderness, the compassion that fills those eyes. That's how Jesus interacts with the lowly. That's how Jesus interacts with us. And that is what he calls us to do as we interact with the lowly as well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the gospels in which we get to see how Jesus lived his life. We get to see what it looks like to be faithful. And Lord, we pray that you would help us, God, because honestly, we just, we can't do this without you. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, we've got nothing. And so I pray for all my friends in here today. God, I pray that you would send the Holy Spirit to convict where conviction needs to be. And Lord, where encouragement needs to be in some of the steps that they've already made and the ways that they're already doing this, encourage their hearts. God, at the end of the day, we want to be workers, faithful laborers in the harvest. 
We want you to bring in that harvest, God. We want to see people in this very room that that are a direct result of us going and proclaiming the good news that this woman here heard, that Zacchaeus heard, the good news that you have come and your heart is one that is compassionate to all who would receive you, that you're eager to bring into your family sons and daughters. God, I pray that you would help us We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.